0: Hi, i'm ryan mcclure and i'm
1: justin zyduk
0: and welcome to indefensible inc the podcast where we take a look at some allegedly terrible comics and comics related media today we're looking at fate is the killer a preview of dc comics then upcoming masters of the universe comic book based on the popular 80s line of toys from mattel this was published as a 16-page insert in a bunch of comics published by dc comics in november 1982 and features barbarian hero He-Man teaming up with Superman to fight the evil Skeletor. Uh, This was written by Paul Kupperberg and drawn by legendary Superman penciler Kurt Swan with inks by Dave Hunt. And if you'd like to read along with us, but you don't want to track down some random DC comics from 1982, you can actually find this online at He-Man.org. Uh, by searching for it in the DC Comics section of their comics page. Uh, make sure you go to he-man.org, not he-man.com or .biz, so that you have the most credible
1: <laughs> right. uh, source. It's an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so this comic came up in a trivia question that you actually asked in a recent Canon fodder, um, and I, which I knew the answer to because I actually have one of the comics that contained this insert, um, it was Superman number 377. My, Incidentally, my first Superman comic. Um, it's from wow. two years before I was born, so I'm not actually sure how I got it, but I won't worry about the mysteries of my origins right now. Um, the reason that I thought this would be interesting to take a look at is because if you're familiar with He-Man, primarily through the uh, Filmation cartoon show that premiered in 1985, this is a lot different from that. If you want to do a deep dive into the creation of the Masters of the Universe toy line. Um, Netflix has both an episode of The Toys That Made Us and a whole feature-length documentary on the subject. Um, But if you haven't seen the documentary, and you maybe had a romantic notion of some um, imaginative creator at Mattel inventing a whole Tolkien-esque world of magic and fantasy out of whole cloth, uh, I have to shatter that. The the He-Man mythos, or whatever you want to call it, was sort of assembled in fits and starts by various different designers and artists and marketing people, and writers. Um, They actually started with nothing but the name He-Man because it was a totally generic name for a boy's action figure, and they weren't sure whether the character should be a barbarian, a space hero, or a soldier. Even after they decided on the barbarian angle, his initial backstory was still pretty vague. Um, In some of the early mini-comics packaged with the toys, he was pretty much just a Conan-type dude who lived in the jungle and fought Skeletor and other monsters. Um, without a whole lot of context, He-Man doesn't even change into Prince Adam or yet, or any of that kind of thing. Um, to further flesh out the storyline, Mattel approached DC Comics, and writer Paul Kupperberg got the assignment. In an interview, he describes that basically he was just sort of given some names and one-line descriptions of the figures, and was pretty much just left alone to play with the characters, both figuratively and literally, uh, to decide how the, the characters would work with each other and interact in a story. Some of the elements introduced in the DC comics would carry over into the cartoon show a couple of years later, but a lot of them change pretty drastically in development, so there's a lot of elements in this comic that feel close, but not quite right because they hadn't been figured out yet. Um, But first, Ryan, we talked a little bit about this uh, offline earlier, but for the folks out there in Radioland, what is your relationship with the Masters of the Universe toys and and cartoons? This was
0: actually the earliest toy line that I remember getting obsessed with <laughs> um, and I really it's not one of those series where I have uh, lingering affection for it really like I can enjoy seeing my Marvel comics made into movies and um, and even something like the Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. I have a bit more interest in but like this just doesn't really inspire any <laughs> Any need to see a, a gritty reboot of the Masters of the Universe movies? Although I know there are some comics out there that are supposedly pretty good. So
1: um, apparently somebody wants that. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, that was I was big into He Man as a kid. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about the timeline, and I guess I was sort of like in on the tail end of it. And I wonder if I was able to like procure so many figures from the store because like they were all on clearance. I'm wondering if they were like trying to get rid of stuff in Toys R Us. And that's why I had, I had a lot of He-Man figures looking back on it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I like, I would like, a, I, I do have a lingering affection for He-Man, but like, it's not something that like I keep up with in terms of, um, I am not a loyal forum poster on He-Man.org or <laughs> I don't know what the He-Man fandom is called, but, um, it is something that I sort he- of.
0: He-Maniacs? He-Maniacs.
1: Or Hemophiliacs? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I just... Spitbond, um, HeMan.org. If you if you don't have an name already, I think that's something you should look into. But yeah, it's something that I don't. You know, I have a lingering fondness for, but I'm not like a you know a fanatic in the way that you know sort of sticks with you.
0: Yeah, I, I do wonder. Uh, I have two. There, this raises two questions for me. One is that uh, I am a huge fantasy fantasy fan, so I wonder if this kind of planted the seeds for. My later fantasy fandom, because I it was really like the movie Willow that that kind of kicked into gear, but this mm-hmm. might have been the starting point. Um And then I was wondering, do you know if was it like the expression a real He Man? Did that predate the series, or did that that come about as a result of the series?
1: Yeah, I think that's a like an old timey like I think the wasn't like the little rascals were like in the He Man Woman Haters Club or something like. Being He Man was like being like a you know a real like you know like a I guess macho, macho man or something, (laughs) but which which sort of emphasizes what a kind of silly name that it is for. Like whenever they try to do like a like the reboot of He Man, I think your primary obstacle is that you have to get around the fact that the main character's name is He Man. Yes, (laughs) it's a a hurdle, especially today. Right. um...
0: I feel like the most recent comics really go heavily on the Masters of the Universe branding and just <laughs> downplay that a little bit, but that's just my perception.
1: And the Masters of the Universe! So on to the comic book, Fate is the Killer. We open in space over Planet Eternia, which is He-Man's homeworld. A caption reads, The universe is a big place. The multiverse is even bigger. So all of you... Division viewers disappointed that there wasn't a whole multiverse reveal at the end of that. Hopefully this comic can scratch that itch and soothe that burn. Uh, you can start your fan theories about <laughs> uh, who Man-at-Arms really is. <laughs> I'm going to riot if at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier if He-Man doesn't show up. <laughs> so we've established that Attorney exists in a parallel universe to ours. Suddenly, out of a rip in space and time comes Zodak, a weird-looking dude in a helmet, and he's sitting in a flying chair. So this is an example of Paul Kupperberg being asked to sort of make sense of stuff based on vague suggestions. Um, on the original toy packaging, the Zodak figure was called a Cosmic Enforcer, and wasn't clearly aligned with the good guys or the bad guys. So what he appears to have arrived at with for Zodak is that he's some sort of like all-powerful cosmic guardian of the balance like kind of like the watcher in marvel comics or metron from jack Herbie's new gods um the metron comparison is sort of helped by the fact that Zodak has a flying chair like metron um the chair didn't actually come with a figure um it was par- apparently based in the throne in the castle grace call playset. so again you have to imagine like an adult man like being given all these toys and just sort of mixing and matching them and seeing like like making stuff up based on the parts that you have available which like i think we all did with like toys where you didn't have for transformers. it didn't have a Megatron. So you had to like sort of pick who your main Decepticon bad guy was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Bob the goon action figure from the <laughs> Batman line was every random thug in every superhero <laughs> scenario.
1: Yeah. Uh, my uh, Spider-Man and X-Men figures got a lot of play in the, uh, the Ghostbusters firehouse.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, Kupferberg says it wasn't his intent to rip off Metron. So I guess it's just the case that all sorts of mysterious, impassive cosmic beings like to get off their feet, which I understand. I mean, if I was, if I was Zodak, I would have like a couch or a chaise long that I would cruise around in. But, uh, yeah, he's, so he's flying through the air, cryptically talking to himself about how Eternia is in grave danger. Let we cut to the Royal Palace of Eternia. There's basically ye old revelry going on with the king and queen at the main banquet and a court full of feasting and drinking and dancing girls with streamers. Uh, a caption assures us that this isn't a primitive world, but it's one where feudalistic society coexists with a- advanced technology.
0: And despite this advanced technology, no one apparently has gotten around to inventing long pants <laughs> because nobody, uh, none of the guys are, are rocking anything aside from... Short shorts.
1: Yeah, they have those sort of furry diaper things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's, you know, advanced in quotation marks. Uh, so the king is sort of grousing about the prince being late for the party when suddenly Prince Adam shows up with a woman on each arm. Uh, the character of Man-at-Arms puts it more bluntly. He says, quote, "...only two wenches, lad? You're losing your charm." End quote. Uh, prince Adam apologizes for his tardiness, but says he was unavoidably detained to which Man-at-Arms says, Out wenching again, you mean boy. So, like, if you're familiar with the character of Man-at-Arms from the cartoon, there are two major differences in this version. Uh, first, just like the original action figure, he doesn't have a mustache like he does in the cartoon. Second of all, he's apparently obsessed with saying the word wench. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I wonder if... Um, so this... Reminds me of the scene in Batman Year One where we see Bruce Wayne kind of stride into a party with a couple of ladies on his arm. Um, so I wonder if Frank Miller was, and Mazzuccelli were taking notes.
1: <laughs> this is a, a primary sighted influence. Uh, so in the cartoon, if you'll remember, Prince Adam is sort of a like a nasal-voiced weenie. But here he's kind of like a portrayed as sort of a spoiled carousing prince who shirks his duties, not unlike uh, Bruce Wayne in a lot of current uh, incarnations. He proposes a toast to his father, the king, says that you may wear the crown royal for eons to come in health and prosperity, mainly that I'll need not take it up and spoil my fun. Uh, Suddenly Zodak shows up in his space lazy boy and demands that the people bring him their greatest champion. Everybody panics, and Prince Adam pretends not to know what's what's going on. But it's suggested that Zodak knows that he's secretly He Man, and um, just like on the cartoon, it's not clear why people don't know that Prince Adam is He Man because they look—he's not even he doesn't even have like glasses or like a like a hat or you know—he's it's mm. the exact same man. It's yes, not, yeah. not even really clear like why He Man needs a secret identity because it's not like he's. You're already, yeah. you're already the prince, so like your parents are already kind of like major targets for mm-hmm. any evil doers. It I, I can only imagine that, or it's possible that like everybody doesn't think that he has a secret identity, and they are just sort of like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I, I got to go, and it's like it's it's fine that you're that you're he man. It's it's good to know that you're good to know that you're available if we need you. It's you don't have to don't have to hide, but
0: <laughs> yeah, it I... seems like uh, that and. His cat having like an alter ego, a secret identity seems like a
1: gilding the lily a little (laughs) Um, So Tila, the female captain of the guard shows up. Adam tells her that their weapons won't be any uses against Zodak, but Tila seems to be the one person in the kingdom who isn't charmed by uh, Prince Adam's party animal thing because she tells him to stick to your wenching and carousing Adam and leave the fighting to those of us versed in such things. So I think it's pretty impressive to get wench three times in three places, or in, in three three times in three pages. I mean, that's a. If I try to do that, I don't think that I could pull that yeah. off. Uh. So Adam runs from the scene, and calls up his green, uh, pet talking tiger, Cringer. Uh. So they have, uh, So again, hearkening back to the cartoon, like if you remember, they have sort of like a jokey vernacular. You know, where He Man's like, uh oh, time to put this guy down to size. But here they have like Conan style dialogue where they say, like, I and Verily. And so, like, the exchange between Cringer and Prince Adam is Cringer says, I knew I shouldn't, I should have found instead some nice, safe corner of the stables in which to take my rest. And Adam's, Adam says, You complain overly much, cat. I wouldn't dream of disturbing your sleep were it not important. Yeah, it's, uh, Cringer in particular is is very eloquent. (laughs) Just seems like maybe the smartest character in in this series. Uh, So they duck into a cave, uh, Adam and Cringer do, and the sorceress appears. And instead of being sort of falcon or eagle themed like she is in the cartoon, she was a pretty cool snake armor. Uh, Prince Adam has changed into his He-Man, you know, uh, uniform or costume or whatever you'd call that. There's no, like, power of skull sequence, and he doesn't even have a sword, so I don't know if he has to, like, physically change out of his Prince Adam shirt and into, like, the He-Man harness or or what.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the most iconic thing about He-Man is the, the power of Skull moment and the change. So. None of that. It's kind of strange <laughs> that it comes later.
1: So, uh, Sorceress says that Skeletor is up to no good again and conjures up an image of him. He-Man yells, Skeletor, may the dark gods burn his evil soul. So again, sort of a far cry from the jokey guy who used to call Skeletor, like, Boneface or Skull Breath in the cartoon. I don't recall him invoking dark gods on the Saturday morning cartoon. I I did watch a few episodes, or a
0: part of an episode, maybe like six or seven years ago, and I was really surprised because I had this uh, perception of it as being, like, very kind of serious <laughs> uh, fantasy stuff. And then it is just, as, as you're saying, like, super goofy and, like, yeah. <laughs> cartoony sound
1: effects and all this stuff. So it's mm-hmm. a totally different tone. Yeah, we actually have a uh, the uh, Christmas special on DVD, and that's an annual ritual around here. So we are regularly reminded of like, you you know, they jump up in the end. They were like, dee, 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 before they run off and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. They shake their, you know, they shake their heads and then sort of a, Wr-r-r-r-r-r-r-r. uh, so we cut to Skeletor and his henchmen, beast man and merman. Skeletor also talks in a much more eloquent way than he does in the cartoon. There's a legendary power sword that he has half of, and he's looking for the matching half. Skeletor claims it's in the sea and requires Merman to retrieve it. Uh, Merman, who is sort of like a creature from the Black Lagoon-looking guy, is fearful to go on the quest, but Skeletor chokes him from a distance using, like, a magic bolt. So, again, I, I was into He-Man pretty young, and I actually didn't get into Star Wars until later because I found the first movie kind of boring. For They're, they're, they're in the desert for a long time. <laughs> so I th- I'm pretty sure that I read this before I saw Star Wars... So when I finally did like make it through Star Wars, I remember thinking like, "Oh wow, this this Darth Vader guy has Skeletor's powers. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, Superman is flying by the Metropolis coast when a giant pink tentacle monster pops out of the sea and attacks him. And
0: if you're picturing some kind of Watchmen-esque tentacle monster, you're going to be disappointed because this one. It's weird. It has, like, a unicorn horn in the middle of the face, and then it looks like it has a big, bushy mustache. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a an interesting choice.
1: <laughs> Probably would have made Watchmen better, but I'd not my place to uh, criticize. It's, the...
0: it's one of the designs that, like, the people on the island, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that they, they were workshopping, and they just tossed out and, like, but really going.
1: I really hope that nobody who's listening to this He-Man podcast was going to read Watchmen next. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to get through this He-Man podcast and then I'm going to sit down with Watchmen. Yeah. I apologize
0: (laughs) for, for many reasons.
1: So Superman notes that it's no form of aquatic life that he's familiar with and carries it away from the shore where it can't hurt anyone. Suddenly he sees three glowing orbs streak past him in the sky Figuring this is related somehow, he flies after them. They take evasive action and dive down into the water, and Superman follows. And in the water is an interdimensional inter, interdimensional vortex that sucks Superman in and transports him to Eternia. So, uh, one of the things that was so weird about this to me when I was reading it as a kid is that this was an issue of Superman. And that issue of Superman has the exact same writer, penciler, inker team as this story and both stories involve Superman getting sucked into an interdimensional vortex that takes into a world ruled by magic instead of science. So, like, it was weird that basically the same thing happens twice to him in the same comic and it looks the same. And given that this, this was, like, my first two Superman stories, effectively, like, I really overestimated, like, the sense of how much time Superman spends teleporting to magical dim- uh, dimensions. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you, you have to figure that the the writers were like, okay, last month he was endangered because of kryptonite, so we have to go with the only other thing that can <laughs> harm him, magic.
1: Magic. And we'll
0: just kind of alternate.
1: And then when I finally got like a Super Friends comic, like it's like, oh, now, now he fights the Riddler? That's kind of a step, a step down after <laughs> two magical dimensions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, back on Eternia, He-Man is pretty majestically writing Battle Cat looking for Skeletor. And again, like you said, Battle Cat being sort of like the savviest and um, most, uh, really a poet, says, uh, let us find yeah. him, man, so that I may fasten my jaws about his foul flesh. Puts the Shakespeare to shame. Zodak appears and tells He-Man that he must abandon his search for Skeletor and come with him for un- some unspecified mission in the cosmos. He-Man tells him to take a hike. So Zodak blasts him with a cosmic power beam. So He-Man says something about how he blocks the shot with his, quote, power vest created force field shield, end quote, which doesn't really roll off the tongue, I suppose. I think this is an aspect of the early He-Man thing that got rethought, is that, like, instead of a sword being the source of his power and you get the power of Grayskull thing, I think it was, like, that harness thing that he wears on his chest with, like, the little sort of cross on it. Mm -hmm. I think I read that in something else where it's like that is what gives him his like jungle powers or whatever.
0: Yeah, I guess they were like, well, he's got like 5% of his shirt on. (laughs) So we have to justify the reason he's got this thing in the middle of his chest because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) So He-Man and Zodak fight for a bit. And although He-Man gets some punches in and roughs Zodak up. Zodak ultimately stands up to He-Man's power and says the battle has just begun. Cut back to Superman and the Vortex. He emerges from the sea, still chasing the three glowing orbs. Uh, he recognizes that he's on Eternia because apparently he's been here, as a footnote tells us in DC Comics Presents number 47. So I had sort of forgotten that this was apparently not Superman's first visit to, to Eternia and that, like, Mattel had worked it out that, like, Superman needs to make two appearances with our with our new guy. Cause like he's on a first name basis with Skeletor, it turns out. They're really pushing this hard, I guess. Yeah. It was, I, would, I had read something in the, the interview online that like Mattel was like, I mean, I, I, I guess it's quaint now that we like, they, they really thought that like comics had the power to like drive the kids interest in this series. And that like Superman was still a big draw at that time that they were like, we need to get them on panel as equals really solidify that this He-Man guy is a, a tough customer. Mm-hmm. So the three orbs land, and it turns out that it's Skeletor and Man's Beast and Myrrh, Skeletor reveals that the second half of the Power Sword was on Earth all along, and that the sea monster was something he conjured to distract Superman. So if it seems absurd and biologically unlikely to some of the more skeptical members of this podcast, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> All that remains is for Skeletor to join the two halves of the sword to reveal the secrets of C- Castle Skull, whatever those are. They seem like bad news for Skeletor to possess. Uh, Beastman tells him to get on with it, but then Skeletor says he needs to wait until, quote, when the Dark Star does stand poised, twixt the Eternian moons, end quote. And then he gives Beastman a spanking with the flat of his blade for his impertinence, which I think is a pretty undignified thing to do with your new mystical object of unspeakable power. Like, if you're picking up the Holy Grail, it's like undignified to put like four loco in it. (laughs) Like, Drink up, guys. Well, just imagine
0: it in the cartoon where he'd like smack his butt and it'd go like (laughs) something along those lines.
1: But Superman has sussed out what's going on and swoops down to grab both halves of the power sword. And he makes it look really easy
0: and it's presumably because there's not really room in this short story to show him like actually grabbing them out of skeletor's hands but it's just one minute he uh skeletor's holding them the next superman is like 300 yards away just (laughs) holding both swords uh really really showing up
1: skeletor Mm. there's not a sound effect in that panel but if there was it would be yoink (laughs) (laughs) definitely (laughs) But um, Superman's overconfidence has gotten the best of him because the magic power of the swords hurts Superman because Superman has a vulnerability to magic. Uh, Superman drops one of the swords, I guess exactly where Skeletor can catch it, but he throws the other one like into the distance, seemingly at random. Elsewhere, Zodak and He-Man are still fighting when the half of the power sword that Superman threw just happens to sort of smack him in the back in a bit of good luck. Both good luck, I guess, because it's like because it found him. And also because, like, it didn't go, like, blade first, like, through his, (laughs) through his back, like, Mm -hmm. that could have been really bad if, you know, that had gone, that had gone wrong. Everything's
0: coming up, (laughs) He-Man.
1: So He-Man figures this must be the work of Skeletor somehow, and decides to take the sword and fight him. Zodak says, this must not be, for did not the stars tell of He-Man's death, should he this day meet Skeletor? I guess this is the fate is the killer that the title was warning us of. At Castle Skull, Skeletor is zapping a powerless Superman with his half of the sword. He shoots an energy blast at He-Man as he approaches, and it knocks him out. But Superman throws his sword first, and, again, keep in mind your memories of, like, the the old cartoon. It impales Skeletor through his chest. Pretty hardcore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Skeletor is stabbed through the chest. He-Man's down. Zodak so shows up and laments over an unconscious He-Man that he's too late and that the stars have claimed their victim. Skeletor curses some meddlers, as as you do when you're a evil wizard who's dying. Um, and then the power of the sword consumes him. Or at least this is how Skeletor describes what's happening. I would describe it as like, Skeletor turns into like an energy bolt and sort of flows into He-Man. But the power of the sword consumes me is a little, maybe a little cooler. More dignified. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> So this energy transfer thing revives He-Man somehow, which Zodak is absolutely stoked about. He, like, cheers. Um, And because he came on like such a dispassionate god, it's sort of endearing how happy this makes Zodak. Like, it's kind of like in a, you know, like any one of those episodes of Star Trek where, you know, Spock thinks that Kirk's dead and then he shows up and he's like, Jim! And then he has to sort of, like, compose himself again. But Zodak is just purely, like, I'm in a good mood now. I'm really, really pleased that He-Man is still alive. I'm, I'm glad they gave Zodak a satisfying arc in this 14-page story. <laughs> oh. You know, Z- you know, Zodak will will surprise you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Zodak is basically like, well, I guess the pro- prophecy was technically true because you died and returned back to life. So, way to cheat fate, man. And the one thing that I took away from that
0: documentary, uh, the Netflix show about the toy line is that Apparently, one of the things that they found in doing research is that little boys are fascinated with power. You know, like, who's the toughest, strongest hero? So it does seem kind of like a weird move to introduce the center of your new hero toy line by technically killing him (laughs) uh, right away.
1: Yeah, and then just just happens to pull through. Um, But, yeah, that's that's a bold move. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose it's not that much different than, like, the other protagonist of, of this story, Superman, where, like, every movie idea that DC Comics has had in the past, like, 25 years has been, like, death of Superman related in some way. So it's <laughs> like, like they have no, it's like, any Warner Brothers executive is going to be like, okay, before I green light this, I'm going to need to see Superman's corpse in the <laughs> script, preferably battered and bloody, but, like, I I can't green light the Superman movie unless he's he's dead for at least part of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of whom, at the end of the last panel, Superman says, that's all well and good, but will someone please explain what I'm doing here? Which is maybe not awesome to like admit how superfluous you are (laughs) in this, and how how contrived your appearance is in the story. I like to imagine that like, he's sort of like, miffed that he's sort of like pointless here and then he goes home back to Earth and he finds out in Metropolis that there was like a fire downtown and like 12 people were killed and he's like, well... Really glad that I was hanging out in Eternia, messing around with Skeletor. Yeah,
0: I would have liked a little um, kind of Simpsons critic crossover <laughs> moment where He Man's like, what? "And if you want us to uh, <laughs> stop by and visit <laughs> at any <laughs> point, Metropolis. nah, I don't
1: think we're gonna be." It's kind of yeah. I, I got a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> so that's the end of our our little uh, short story. Um, and I, I'm going to say that's not like, obviously it's not the worst thing that we've looked at by any means. I mean, it's an action figure tie-in from 1982 that has to introduce its concepts and tell a complete story in 14 pages plus fit Superman and sort of shoehorned. So like all of our jokes aside, like it competently executes that brief. And this is not like that much, that much better or worse than what you could reasonably expect. But I do think it's sort of, there's a sort of an interesting, like weird alienation effect going because like, if you didn't know that this came first, before the tv show you would read this and think like wow this is everything's like just slightly wrong in sort of a <laughs> sort of an eerie way like yeah like the, the, the he-man uh uncanny valley if you, if you will it's like
0: yeah they were doing the gritty reboot before the actual series came out
1: yeah yeah because it is like yeah. it's it's not like exactly like Super gritty Conan stuff because it is still a kids' toy line, but like it's not like we were talking about like the jokey, like goofy, wacky adventures in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. There's a there's 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 no like the like, moral at the end of the of the end of the story where like he man turns to the camera and talks about like, well you know he man you know <laughs> Skeletor sent that sea monster to attack Superman, but really the danger is that you have when you have uh, invasive species in ecosystems that aren't designed to support them
0: yeah um um but yeah i mean i think it does the very uh commercial objective or achieves the commercial objective it sets out to achieve mm-hmm. and for that reason yeah i think you got to get it, give it a 10 out of 10
1: <laughs> i mean for just to see a skeletor like impaled alone it's like well so we were, we were talking about like comparing this with a cartoon show and you were talking about how you, like you rewatched it and you like thought you had like a different like memory of it in your head mm-hmm. so i had the same sort of the same thing with like transformers where i was remembering like for years like the transformers the movie was what i had on you know on vhs or whatever and so all my like that's pretty like you know it's a lot more violent and there's there's, there's swearing which is as which big as a kid so like my how every, many wenches are, are in it <laughs> there's one <Okay. laughs> but you know like there's like the Transformers movie is like a lot like more serious for as much as like a transforming you know card cartoon can be and then like yeah. that's what i that's how i remember like the transformer show being and then like i remember like when it was on netflix when i first got netflix i like watched the old transformer show and like we really quite shocked at how like goofy and illogical, every, illogical everything was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any Any of you uh, younger people who grew up with actually like cartoons that are trying to do things with animation as an art form and <laughs> and uh, committed to character and and uh, you know narrative principles, you.
1: You don't know how good you have. It. <laughs> I know. We, you know, people of our age tend to sometimes say like, "Oh, like this or that was better when we were kids," but like, I think action figures and children's animation really is much better now <laughs> than it yeah. was. We were we grew up with garbage, <laughs> so be glad that you can yeah. watch Gravity Falls on on Disney Plus. Um, one more aspect of this that I thought was sort of funny and like the difference between the. Regular He Man in this version is that like Prince Adam, so like in the show he's sort of like again again to the extent that he has or needs a secret identity, he's sort of like Clark Kent where he's sort of like you know you know has sort of a high voice and he is sort of cowardly and like running away from stuff, whereas like in this one he is like the sort of Bruce Wayne like I'm a ladies man, I, I I'm irresponsible. I think that the Clark Kent thing works. Better because, like, again, if this is, like, all market research power fantasy stuff, I think it's a much stronger power fantasy that, like, you appear, like, weak and nerdy on the outside, but inside you're actually, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a he-man. Versus, like, this is, like, if you were, like, if you found out, like, the captain of the football team who never does any work in school and, like, dates all the cheerleaders is like, oh, he's also... The world's greatest superhero. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that he's yeah. better than me in every single possible respect.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So that was a. I think that was an improvement over this version.
0: I think maybe the most important question to end on, uh, or at least this segment, is: Is this as good as that viral video featuring the four non-blondes <laughs> song? You <laughs> man.
1: Uh, I mean, it's perhaps. Slightly more narratively satisfying. Okay. But, I mean I, I will I will say like the as much as we like the four non blondes video, where's Zodak? That's why That's that is true. That's what I gotta ask. That sweet ass chair. <laughs> that sweet ass chair. That totally night ripping off Metron.
0: So on that note, should we go on to Kenan fodder? let's do uh so tonight we'll find out who's the master of the trivia universe as we do our segment in which we try to stump each other with some obscure and bizarre comics trivia would you like to kick things off
1: sure so i went with some some masters of the universe some m-o-t-u uh based questions so question the first uh one of He-Man's heroic warrior buddies uh, was was a Wild West-looking lawman dubbed the fastest draw in the universe who rode around in a covered wagon, made hot chili over a campfire for He-Man and Orko. And, uh, oh yes, he was apparently some sort of cyborg that had a shoulder-mounted laser cannon and smaller laser guns that came out of his chest, hands, and kneecaps. What was this guy called? <laughs> was it A, Buckaroo Quickshot, B. Rio Blast, C. Gunslingor, or D. Laser Laredo?
0: Hmm. For some reason, C and D seem the most plausible to me. And I feel like Gunslingor is triggering something
1: in the far recesses of my mind. So I'm going to go with C. There was a devious plot on my... Point because so many He-Man characters are just like Spike or and Stink or, and ah. it was actually Rio Blast, which I'm not totally mm. sure that I get. <laughs> like, is it like Rio Grande? Like, that's a it's a river in yeah. the West. It's but...
0: not a not a
1: pun, um... <laughs> right? Because so I was I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to make all these puns like about like lasers and the Wild West, and then I'm looking at the actual name, and I'm like, this isn't really clever.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I will say uh, Jeff Johns as much as I uh, Dislike him uh, He he invented a Masters of the Universe character When he was a kid Called Sir Laserlot Like Sir Lancelot (laughs) but with a laser And like that I have to give it up for him Yeah That's that's a winner Definitely
0: So my question is non He-Man related But it is somewhat topical Mm Mm-hmm With the release of the Snyder cut of Justice League, grim and gritty versions of DC heroes are once again back in the spotlight. However, Snyder's Batman has nothing on the Batman who laughs, a Jokerized evil alternate universe version of Bruce Wayne who kills the entire Justice League. Which of the following details are not part of this super dark and totally (laughs) twisted character's canon? Oh, God. A... He synthesized a strain of black kryptonite to drive Supergirl insane and force her to kill her own family. B, the Joker temporarily paralyzed Bruce Wayne and forced him to watch as he recreated the Wayne murders by shooting captured children's parents in front of them and then infecting the orphans with Joker venom. <laughs> C, his Robin, uh, he has Robins who are orphans exposed to Joker venom who are kept on chain Chain link leashes, and can only say the word "crow" in homage to the crowbar that killed the second Robin. <laughs> or D, he disemboweled Commissioner Gordon and made a bat signal signal out of his entrails in order to lure
1: Barbara <laughs> Gordon into a trap. Wow. I guess yeah, I so guess dark. I guess it could be worse. Snyder <laughs> <This is neither laughs> cut. Um, so which, this which is like. One of the most popular <laughs> storylines <laughs> nice. of recent years from what I, I gather. Yeah. Um, which Which one of those is not a thing? Yes. I'm going to say, I'm just just for the, f- the sake that it's out of the Batman family, I'm going to say it's the Black Kryptonite and Supergirl kills her family.
0: Uh, it was actually the disemboweling Commissioner Gordon.
1: Ooh, it's a... Making the bat signal. It's a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah. Uh... I guess they just weren't quite as twisted as me.
1: <laughs> Not really taking it to the next level that yeah, that you you can access. Yeah. Um, on, a, on a cheerier note, <laughs> question number two is also about He-Man. <laughs> there was a plan in the original mini-comics that were packaged with the toys to eventually reveal the true identity of Skeletor. Although one comic was published that set up the mystery... The storyline was canceled before it could be resolved in a subsequent comic. Who was Skeletor intended to be revealed as? Is it A, King Randor's brother, a powerful wizard named Keldor, which also makes Skeletor He-Man's uncle? Is it B, Scott Latour, an astronaut from Earth on the same space flight that brought He-Man's mother, Queen Marlena, to Eternia, and who betrayed the rest of the crew? That is, by the way, a part of the He-Man canon that is not mentioned all the time, is that His mom is an astronaut from Earth. I'd never heard that. (laughs) It doesn't come up very often, but it comes up in the Christmas special. Like, oh, I remember Christmas. (laughs) Um, C, Teela's real father, Skrelos, who has no idea that He-Man's friend is the daughter that the sorcerer stole away from him years ago, or D, the amnesiac, King Grayskull, who forged the power sword a thousand years ago and built Castle Grayskull in his own image. I'm
0: going to say... I really want it to be B because I really want Skeletor's real name to be Scott. Um, <laughs> I'm torn between A and – actually, they all seem plausible, but I'm going to go with A.
1: That is correct. <gasps> okay. It is perhaps – I mean, I, I see they're they're sort of chasing that, that Star Wars thing because that was still, still in the zeitgeist, you know, being mm. the 80s, but – he, i am your uncle is not really quite as is not, 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 not as good a not as good as <laughs> sell as i am your father yeah
0: all right so my my question uh is is my second question is cheerier as well and it has nothing to do with it, anything <laughs> uh, the late wilbur day had a long run in marvel comics as stiltman Man. A villain with a suit of armor that gave him the powers of enhanced strength and of being somewhat taller than other people (laughs) this d-list villain often fought daredevil and spider-man before being killed by the punisher but not before finding love which similarly unimpressive villain did stiltman marry before his death a Princess Python, member of the Circus of Crime, an otherwise ordinary human who trains snakes to do crime things. <laughs> B, Black Ant, a life model decoy of Erico Grady, the third Ant-Man. C, Danson Macab, a former exotic dancer who can hypnotize and kill people watching her perform. Or D, Pound Cakes, a former wrestler with boots capable of producing strong seismic waves whenever she stamps her feet. Wow.
1: Um, I don't know this one, but I have to say that I think that pound cakes is the sensational character find of whatever year that was. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with pound cakes. I hope it's pound cakes.
0: Um, it was actually princess Python. Ah. It was, this was another one that I, uh, like i think most of mine lately are just ones i i didn't actually know but i spent uh way too much time just going on various (laughs) wikis looking this but yeah she apparently was part of a a misandrist criminal organization (laughs) called the femazons which tried to wipe out all men on earth um yeah, so probably the less said about that time in her career, the, the better. <laughs>
1: well, on that uh, that, on that cheery note, <laughs> I think that'll wrap us up for today. Uh, if you like the podcast, subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and, and Instagram at, at Indefensible Inc. And on Facebook, email us at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. If there's something you think we should be reviewing, if you are really hungering for more he-man content if you are a representative from he-man.org and you want to be start calling yourselves the hemophiliacs which we all need like a like a five cent kickback on every dollar that's raised off that name but otherwise until next time i have been justin and i've been ryan mcclure and by the power of grayskull i have nothing more to say (laughs) good night